And this is Dan. Together we pastor Hope Culture Church in Elgin, Illinois. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. All right. I love that last question. What if this was your best year spiritually? What if this was the best year of following Jesus you've ever had? What, what difference would that make in your life? If you got to the end of this year and, you know, you were like, I feel closer to him, like what impact could that have on your family, on your friends, on your workplace, on, on the people around you, on, in your inner world, the peace you would have, the fruit of the spirit that would be showing up in your life? What if this was your best year spiritually. Last week, we, or last time we were together, we kicked off the series and uh, I preached straight through 1 Samuel 14, a, a story of faith where Jonathan steps out on a perhaps. And this week, I want to talk about prayer and fasting. It's a normal rhythm for our church uh, to pray and fast at some point in January. We set aside time to do it together. Um, and I love that. I, it's always led to God answering prayers. There has not been a season ever of prayer and fasting corporately where we haven't seen God answer significant prayers, which is so exciting because I'm already looking forward to like the weeks ahead where I'm like, that's what God did. Like every time I'm surprised, but I never should be. But I'm just like blown away that God loves us so much and hears our prayers and answers our prayers. So we're setting aside some time. So I thought it'd be good to kick it off by talking about prayer and fasting. You know, we've talked before, if you've been around, about how to pray and how to fast. And Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And we have messages you can look up. They're on the website and podcasts and things like that. But today I want to do a little bit different. I want to talk about what are some of the things that happen or some of the reasons why we pray and fast. And so we're going to kind of jump around a little bit, but we're going to hit six different things. It's not an exhaustive list. It's not everything, but it's six things that came to my mind as I was praying and studying about why we pray and what happens when we pray. Uh, and I'm excited for it. You know, praying might be the most accepted Christian practice and the least applied. That's what one of my friends said. I didn't say that on my own. I stole that from him. But I was like, that's pretty interesting. Like, it's pretty, you can go to pretty much any denomination of any church and they're like, yes, we pray to God. We pray in Jesus' name. And, you know, it's everybody accepts it, but, but is everybody doing it? You know, more than just maybe before your meal or, or when you wake up, is it a regular rhythm of your life to be praying and seeking God? Um, the Westminster Catechism kind of has some details about what we believe and different things like that. And it asks the question, what is prayer? It says, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. It's a pretty concise definition and answer to the question, what is prayer? And then it says, Psalm 10, 17, oh Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart and you will incline their ear. But what about fasting? What is fasting? We're just going through really quick the high level stuff and then we're going to get into the six things. Uh, fasting is abstaining from food for a spiritual purpose. You know, it's not for health. You're not doing intermittent fasting to try to get in shape. You're like saying, God, I need you. And I'm going to set aside food for a period of time. Uh, it's an outward expression of an inward commitment to seek God. And so Jesus comes with the assumption that we'll do these things. 
In Matthew, there's the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous of Jesus' teaching. It takes up a few different chapters. And in chapter 6, he actually says, when you pray, and then goes on to talk about how you should do it. And he says, and when you do that, he's like, when you pray in secret, your Father will reward you. And then right after that, he says, when you fast. He doesn't say if. He says, when you fast. You shouldn't make everybody know about it. And, you know, we've talked about this before. There's a difference between being seen fasting and fasting to be seen. Like, if I'm fasting so everybody knows about it, God's like, you already missed out. You already got everything you were going to get. But if, I, if people are aware of it, if we're doing a corporate fast, which is a normal rhythm in, in the church, and uh, if we're doing it together and I'm doing it for the right reasons, God rewards that. He sees that. And I love that Jesus just has the assumption, you're going to pray and you're going to fast. And when you do it, do it secretly, get alone with God, and he will reward you. And I think that's important. And I wanted to start before we got into it saying that, that God will reward you, that he sees it. What he, what he does is he blesses you openly for what you've done privately. And that's important because sometimes it feels like the biggest barrier to prayer or fasting is wondering, is it going to do anything? Is it doing anything? I'm in the middle of it. I'm on day three and nothing's happening. Is anything happening? And I, I think Jesus' teaching reminds us that even when we don't see anything happening, what God sees in secret, he will reward and bless. All right, let's jump in. Six things. The first one is worship. I think that prayer is a great form of worship. I think sometimes when we think of worship, we only think of the singing. We think of singing and praising God and, and that. And we know Romans 12 teaches that our whole life is worship. That anything we do, that we, we're a living sacrifice to God. And that's our, our worship towards him. Or Paul talks about how whatever you do in word or speech or deed, anything, you can make that all worship if you do it for the right reasons. But prayer is a great way to worship God. Jesus, when he's teaching the disciples how to pray, starts with saying, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's like, blessed be your name. God, we praise you. I'm going to start, before I ask you for anything, before I do anything, I'm going to begin with worship. I was reading Tim Keller's book on prayer, and he talks about prayer having three different forms. He says, inward, upward, and outward. That, that prayer has an upward, a praise, and a thanksgiving. It has an inward, an examination, where we, we, we confess our sin and come before God. And then it has an outward, where we pray for our needs and the needs of those around us. I think when we start with the upward, when we start with worship, it helps take care of the other ones. We pray more in alignment with his character and nature. We, we ask with the right perspective and we come knowing who he is. Like I'm more aware of my own brokenness when I start with God's holiness. When, when I come to God and acknowledge who he is and see who he is, I'm, I'm more aware of who I am. And it, it changes how I, I do the inward prayer. If I, if I come to him first and remember his majesty and his power, it changes how I pray for the outward prayer. Because I'm like, you're able. You've done it before. God, you're, you're powerful. And I think when we start with worship like Jesus teaches, it kind of puts everything else into alignment. Praise and worship is a natural expression to whatever we enjoy. You know, 
Like, that's probably true for you. If, you. if you're watching a show or a movie and you're really into it, you naturally brag about it to your friends. You're like, have you seen this? It's so good. Or our son Judah is really into reading and I love it. And he's always telling us about the latest book he read. And he just read through the whole Chronicles of Narnia series. And he's just like telling everybody. Like if he hasn't told you yet, you just haven't talked to him yet. Like we, you're just, sh- some of you are shaking your head if you know our oldest son Judah. He's 10 years old and he's just like, it's so good. And I'm like, it is so good. But it got me back into it. I'm like, this is awesome. But, but Praise is a natural expression for what we enjoy. C.S. Lewis talks about that in his reflection on the Psalms. He says, he is that object to admire which, he said, or if you like to appreciate. He's like, God is that thing that when we acknowledge him is simply to be awake, to have entered the real world, not to appreciate which is to, ha- is to have lost the greatest experience and in the end to have lost it all. To not see who God is and therefore praise him is just to be missing out on reality, according to C.S. Lewis. I love that. I think there's a beautiful picture. And another um, much earlier church father, St. Augustine, talks about how we become like what we love. And so if, if we're thinking of worship as, as loving God and, and ascribing to him the worth and value that he deserves, we actually start to become more like him. His spirit works in us and we're formed into his image and we see things more clearly. You know, I think so often we miss out on the peace and the joy that God offers because we get distracted. You know, it's the fruit of the Spirit that we experience love and joy and peace and patience and all of the rest of them. And we want that. None of us is like, I don't need peace or joy. I'd rather just be grumpy and, and anxious. We all want, we all want it, but I think sometimes we miss it because we think something else is going to provide it. What worship does is it reminds me where I truly find enjoyment, that it's truly found in God. Once again, Augustine, I'm going to slow down on the quotes, but just a lot of them in the worship. To whatever the soul of man turns, unless towards God, it cleaves to sorrow, even though the things outside of God and outside of itself to which it turns may be things of beauty. What Augustine is saying, to put it in much more contemporary language, he's like, what you love could seem good, but it ultimately is going to bring you sorrow if it's not God. He's like, it can be beautiful and wonderful. There could be nothing wrong with it or nothing sinful about it. But ultimately, it doesn't produce what you're looking for if it's not God himself. When we start our prayer with worship, we grow in love. And I think this is important um, because if we ignore it, we actually can slip into missing all of what God wants for us. In Romans 12, or in Romans 1, Paul is kind of going through listing all of these things that are building upon themselves, that people did this and therefore they did that. And and he starts it all, like the pinnacle of it is that although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave him thanks. For Paul, it's like all of the other sin and mistakes that all of these people were making were just an outflow of them not recognizing who God was was. I love that. And I love it because worship then leads to humility. Humility is our second one. And worship reminds us of who God is and therefore who we are and how how big that gap can be sometimes and, and how much we need him. 
And you know, this is where we get into the fasting part of it. Is fasting, I think one of its main purposes is humility. It, it's a way of humbling ourselves. You know, in James it says uh, that God gives grace generously, that he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, and therefore you should humble yourselves before God. Another translation says submit yourself before God, that, that there's this posture of intentionally humbling yourself. Because if, you, if you're thinking about this and you're, you're studying all these different passages that talks about pride and humility throughout Scripture, you realize really quickly God hates pride. And that if you're going to be prideful, he will humble you. But if you choose humility, if you humble yourself, he'll exalt you. I mean, we see this play out in the most extreme forms with, with Jesus and Satan. Satan is cast out of heaven because of pride. Like he, he's buying too much into himself. He's lost sight of who God is, and therefore he's cast down. Jesus comes humbly and to serve, setting everything aside, and therefore is exalted to the right hand of the Father. And fasting is a great way to humble yourself. It's a great way to come before God and just remember, hey, I am dependent on you as much as I'm dependent on food. I need you. I need you for the air I breathe. I need you to, to come and breathe new life into my spiritual life. God, I need you. Psalm 69 verse 10. This is David writing. He says, when I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. He humbled his soul with fasting. That's, that's what we do is we come and we're just like, God, I need you. I want to remind myself in this, these seven days of prayer and fasting that I am completely dependent on God. Because it's so easy to re slowly slip away from that. To slowly think, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm all right. I got these things in order and this thing's in place. This is what, what is happening in Ecclesiastes in chapter 5. This is what I have observed to be good. That it is appropriate for a person to eat, drink, and find satisfaction uh, in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them. For this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with the gladness of heart. And I was processing this passage in relation to humility and fasting and how easy it is when things are going well to just not think critically to not think about our dependence on God, to, to let up on some of the disciplines and rhythms we do to pursue him because we're feeling like, you know, things are pretty good. And there's nothing wrong with things being good. Like, it is a gift. That's what Ecclesiastes is saying. But we don't want to have this moment where we're no longer realizing our dependence on God. So humility brings us back. John Wesley, he says, I fear there are now thousands of Methodists. He's the one who, who started the Methodist church. He said, so-called in England and Ireland, who following the same bad example have entirely left fasting, who are so far from fasting twice a week as the stricter Pharisees did that they didn't even fast twice a month. He's outraged because the, these people aren't fasting twice a month, which like in our culture and context seems crazy. You're like, twice a month is a lot. And he's like outraged that they've, they've slowed down to twice a month. And he's like, yeah, there's some of you who do not fast one day from the beginning of the year to the end. And I just love that. And, you know, I don't think we need to fast twice a month or there's any rhythm or, or amount that's required in Scripture. But I do think it's a good practice. And I think that Wesley's on to something when he's noting that, that it's so easy to move away from it because most of us don't naturally love it. 
None of us don't love that feeling of being hungry or giving something up. But when we do it, we're, we're purposely choosing to humble ourselves before God. Um, I have more there, but I'm going to keep going for the sake of time. The next one is answers. Answers. We, we pray and fast because we do want God to do something sometimes. We're like asking. We're desperate. We actually are aware of our need for him, that we're coming humbly. We're like, God, I, I have this family member, or I have this work situation, or I have this, this thing at home, and I just need you to answer this prayer, God. I, I'm asking desperately. And I love that because although the purpose of prayer and fasting broadly might be for connection and intimacy and humility, the promise is that God hears us, that he's a God who answers prayer, that he sees us. And so if you're looking for direction or wisdom, use these seven days to seek God. God, what would you have me to do? If you're feeling worried, pray. If you're feeling anxious, pray. If you're desperate, pray. If you're grateful, pray. If you're worn out, Pray. If you're uncertain, pray. If you're feeling hopeless, pray. I could keep going. No matter what you're feeling or experiencing, turn to God in prayer. Let the intensity of your prayer match the intensity of your problem. Whatever you're desperate for, God, I need you so desperately. This is, this is encouraged by Jesus. In that same teaching, the Sermon on the Mount that we started with, in the next chapter, in chapter 7, he, he encourages them to ask and seek and knock. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to, those, uh, to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give gifts, good gifts to those who ask him? I love this because Jesus is reminding them. And a huge part of what Jesus is doing is showing people what the Father is actually like. He's like, I'm the perfect representation of the Father. If you want a picture of what your Father in heaven is like, you can look at Jesus. And Jesus is reminding them, hey, he's a good Father. As much as you love to give good gifts to your kids, how much more is your perfect heavenly Father wanting to give you good gifts? So seek and ask and knock and be persistent. And this doesn't mean that God is a genie, that he's there to grant every wish that you have, but it does mean that he is loving and that he cares about your needs, that he's actually big enough to do something about it, but loving and gracious enough that he cares, that he's willing to answer. And I love that. I love that when our desires meet his desires because we're told to pray according to his will. God, if, if you would have this, this is what I'm praying for. And just seeking him. God, would you do this? I'm desperate for you. I know some of you have gone through long, long seasons of this. That you've been praying for so long. And you're wondering, when do I stop? And I just don't think you do. I think you just keep asking and seeking and knocking with patience, with humility, trusting God in the middle of it. God, whatever you do, I trust you, but I'm going to keep coming to you with my needs and my desires. I think that's a huge part of what we do during these seven days is ask God, God, would you do this? I know I, I was in the car with my brother last night and he even said, what are some of those things you're asking God for over these seven days? And I, I have some that I shared with him and some that I didn't. And I was just like, these are some things that I'm asking God for. The next thing is transformation. You know, we come to God and we, we worship 
and we humble ourselves and we're asking things, but, but it also changes us in the process. That, that when we seek God, the more time we spend with him, we're actually slowly made into his image. I love that in first or in Second Corinthians, it talks about how as you behold him, you start to become like him. And I'm paraphrasing, but like the more time you spend with God, the more you, you become like him, which is true even with our friends. Like when you, when you are hanging out with somebody, you start to slowly become like them. You know, we, one of our kids went to camp recently. They went to like a weekend retreat with some other church friends and like they just pick up things that other kids are doing. Like it becomes part of their vocabulary and part of what they do. And we just are influenced by the people we spend time with. That's true with us and God but all the more so because his spirit is inside of us and he's working in us and making us more into his image. In, in Paul's letter to Timothy, he's writing to Timothy who he's training up to be a pastor and he, he tells him to train yourself to be godly. That there's some discipline involved and there's intentionality behind it. And I think some of those disciplines include prayer and fasting. God, would you make me more like you? During these seven days, would I, would I look more like Jesus at the end of the week than at the beginning of the week? Would I, would I just have more of your, your character, more of my heart's desires aligned with your heart's desires? God, would you continue to make me more like you? Spending time with God will change you. You won't be the same if you do it consistently. Sometimes spending time with God is like eating food. I've used this analogy before. You know, sometimes you eat just because you're trying to survive and you're like, did that do anything? Well, you're like, well, if I didn't eat, I would, I would be hungry. And sometimes we go to God and it's like a feast. It's a meal and his spirit's speaking to us and we feel so rejuvenated. Other times it feels like, did that do anything? And it's like, yes, it's feeding you. It's sustaining you. It's shaping you. Your, your mind is being transformed. You're becoming more like Christ. Another thing prayer and fasting does is it increases our intimacy with God, that relationship. And that's part of the transformation, but, but there's just something inside of me, and I was even telling my brother about this. I was like, one of the things I'm praying for is just that, that closeness with God. Just when you sense his nearness and he's speaking to you, I just, I just need that. I desire it so badly, and um, I have it, but I just want it to an, a new degree and a greater level. And I like this because intimacy and relationship with God is both private and public. And, you know, that's true in all of our relationships, right? Like to use our, our human marriage relationship, a man and a wife, you know, there's like you have a private and public part of your relationship. You know, if, if you're only doing one, people will look at you strange, like if they know about it, like if you're holding hands in public and you laugh and giggle and like put your arm around each other and go on dates and then uh, people are watching and you do that at church or when you're walking out or, you know, don't be weird at church, but like, you know, you're like doing all these things, but then you go home and you're like, should we do something together? And you're just like, no. And you're like, no one's watching anymore. I'm not, we don't need to to have a strong relationship. And it's like, some, some, you don't just have a public relationship with God and no private. That would be crazy. But then the same is true. You don't want to have just a private and no public. Like, if you had a relationship and nobody even knew you were married, you, like, didn't have a wedding ring and you didn't ever go out in public with them, you just, like, only saw them at home, people would be like, what in the world? It's like our relationship with God needs both a public and private relationship. We need to grow in that intimacy. Psalm 42 says, as a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. 
David just thirsty for more of God's nearness. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go to meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. Or Psalm 63, you God are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Maybe you're already in this place and you're just like, God, I'm praying and fasting because I'm so desperate for you. Or maybe you're not in that place right now and you're praying and fasting because you, you realize you need that. You need that, that, that desire to be with God, that, that somewhere along the way things have happened and life has moved and you've been caught up with just the day-to-day life and you're like, I've lost that desire just to be with him, to, to spend time with him. Jesus models this. He's regularly in the midst of all his busyness just going away to spend time with his father going up to the wilderness or the mountain and then coming back and re-engaging. We experience God when we slow down and spend extra time in prayer and fasting. And the last thing is, the last of my six is faith. I think our faith is naturally increased as we pray and fast. You know, and I love this because that's a healthy prayer. Like even pray that, be like, God, would you increase my faith? The, there's a couple times where that is kind of a prayer where somebody's in conversation with Jesus and they're not praying it, but they're saying it to Jesus. And in Mark 9, uh, there's a dad who's like trying to get help for his son. His son has had a, a demon possession since he was a kid. He'd throw himself in a fire and he's like, can you do anything? And Jesus is like, yeah, I can do something. He's like, everything is possible to those who believe. And the dad responds, I believe, help my unbelief. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Like, I believe, help my unbelief, that, that you're aware enough that you have faith, but you also have some doubt, that it's mixed in. And, and I think as we head into these, these days of prayers and fasting and uh, seek God, we're just saying, God, would you help my unbelief? You know, that thing that, that you spoke to me in the last message when, when, I, when we were like, what would you do if God was with you? If you had that perhaps moment that, that God is calling you to do that this year, what would you do? And you're just like, God, I need you to increase my faith for that. Or when he's talking to the disciples and he says in Luke 17, he, they, they respond, they say, increase our faith. Increase our faith, God. God, would you, would you just meet me right where I'm at? Would you help me? I think this, as we are willing to set aside this time, I know some of you are already so excited, like, because we were originally going to start it last week and now we're starting this week. So you're like so ready to pray and fast. And so it's going to be great. But like, I just want us to come into it being like, God, I want to connect with you. I want to worship you. I want to be filled with humility and just seek your face. I want, I want to see you answer some prayers that I've been praying uh, for a little while or, or for a long time. God, I, w- I want you to make me more like you, to transform me. I want to have intimacy with you. I want you to increase my faith of what you can do in my life, in my family's life, in our church this year. You know, we're in the series called What If? Like, what if God answered the prayers we prayed this week? What, what if God answered the prayers we prayed this week? And he will. But, I, you know, I, when I'm saying that, I mean, like, in the way that we want him to. Like, because sometimes God says no. But even if he says yes to half of it, can you imagine how different our church would be? Just if we were willing to set aside time to pray and fast? What could happen? I, I made a little acrostic. Worship, humility, answers, transformation, intimacy, and faith. What if 
God answered your prayers and my prayers this week? What if I boldly came to him and was just like, God, I'm desperate for you. I, I have a, a family member. I have a situation. I have a job thing. I have, I have just a desire of my heart to connect with you. Whatever it is for you, it's a small list, a big list. You're just coming, God, we, we're seeking you. Something happens when we do that. When we're talking about humility and God changing us and us humbling ourselves before God, prayer and fasting is like a realignment. I don't know if you've ever had your car out of alignment or anything like that. I had a bike as a kid and I, I was always trying to like jump off curbs and like, you know, do all that stuff. Um, and one time I hit the front tire really hard and then it was like super out of alignment. Like the handlebars were here and the front tire was like that. And so you know, there was nobody who could fix it for a little while. My dad was busy at work and stuff like that. So I'm like riding around the neighborhood like this, going straight. And it's just like, sometimes that happens. We're just going through life. We're going through the motions and we hit a curb. Something comes up in our life or we get distracted with the, the busyness and whatever's happening. And we're just out of alignment. Prayer and fasting is a time for us to come back before God and say, God, would you just realign me? Would you realign my heart? Maybe you're aware of an area. Maybe you're unaware. Maybe this week God will reveal something to you as you come before him and he'll just be like, hey, I love you. I see this in your life. Can you deal with this? Can you, can you stop doing that or, or start doing that again or, or reach out? Can you find reconciliation in this relationship? Can you own your part or whatever it might be? What, what if you were willing to pray and fast and seek God. What could God do this week? What could God do this year? I mean, I, I have big dreams uh, that aren't my own. Like, I truly believe they're from God because I don't always want to do them. I'm like, God, this has to be you because, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even think of this on my own. And, and I'm just praying, God, would you, would you help that to happen? Would you, would you use me? Would you, whatever you have, God, realign me for this year. Reset me. Prepare me for what you have for me this year, God. I need you. Um, let's pray together. God, we come before you aware of our need for you. God, we can't earn you. We're not going on a hunger strike, God. We're, we're just saying, God, we're, we're, we're more in need of you than we are for even food. God, that, would you do something in our lives? Would you make us more like you? Would you help us to worship you? God, would you answer some prayers that were desperately crawling out to you? Would you transform us? Would you, would you help our relationship with you to be rekindled and strengthened or, or go to a place that's never even been before? God, we thank you that you hear our prayers. Would you do what only you can do? Would you meet us right where we're at today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear about what God is doing in your life. To share your story or a prayer request, simply hit contact on our website. You can also support the ministry of Hope Culture Church by visiting hopeculturechurch.com give. We hope you have a great week.